Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We're going to dive straight into what will probably be a challenge for you to find in the Bible this morning because we're going to read from Philemon or Philemon. Who says Philemon here? If you're a Christian, Philemon. Okay. Any Philemon people here? Yeah, okay, good. See, there's a little bit. Okay. Some people are Philemon people. Some people are Philemon people. I'm more of a Philemon person. So if that's a bit of a challenge for you, this, yeah, people are like, what? what? That's not how you say it. It's a Greek name, so I can mispronounce it any way I like. Uh, that's the, the preacher's prerogative, is to mispronounce Greek words. Philemon. It's right before Hebrews if you need a bit of an update, exactly where it is in the Bible. We don't have that challenge anymore, right? With electronic Bibles, you don't need to search in your Bible. It's not a big deal to know where books of the Bible are anymore. That used to be a badge of pride for some Christians, like, I can find that the quickest. Usually have the hand up, yet found it. No one else is a professional Christian in the room? Just me? That was like my jam. I found it first. Look at me. Jude, easy. Philemon, simple. Habakkuk, that's a good one. Nahum, that's actually a book in the Bible. Go and find the book of Zechariah in the Bible. Doesn't exist. Here we go. Verse 15. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read it from my Bible. I've also got it on the screen behind me. It says this in verse 15. It seems Onesimus ran away for a little while so that you could have him back forever. It seems Onesimus ran away for a little while so that you could have him back forever. That's the title of my message this morning. If you're taking notes, if you're someone who taps things into your phone so that you can remember them, I'm looking at everyone who isn't writing notes now and I'm not silently judging you. It's okay. But if you are verbally judging you, actually, it's not even silent. Um, The title of my message this morning is Runaway Slaves. Runaway Slaves. Slaves. Let me give you a bit of context for the book of Philemon. This is a famous uh, book because it's actually one of the shortest, if not the shortest letter that Paul writes in the New Testament. And it's a very personal letter. He's not writing to a church. He's not addressing a big crowd of people. He's talking to one person, Philemon. That's the man he's writing his letter to. So it's personal. It's actually more about Onesimus than it is about Philemon. So Philemon's the name of the person he's writing the letter to, but the book, the story, what Paul is talking about in this letter is more about Onesimus. Onesimus, at this part of his existence, as we kind of can boil down across all of the things that we read in this letter, Onesimus was once a servant or actually a slave of Philemon's. So back in those days, having slaves was a thing. Doesn't actually mean what you think it might mean. Usually slaves in those days, and especially in this context, maybe it was just someone who was paying off a debt, someone who was beholden to another master, and Philemon had a servant or a slave called Onesimus. And you can kind of pick apart Philemon and sort of work out what's really happening in this letter. It seems as if, when you read the whole letter, that something's happened to Onesimus. We don't know exactly what's happened. So you can kind of piece together that an event, something's happened with Onesimus that has made him leave, or like it says in that translation, made him run away from the household that he's a slave to. 
Maybe it was a mistake. We don't know. We're kind of reading between the lines here. It's not too dangerous to do that. In this context, we're just trying to work out Onesimus' story. But again, it's just a personal story. We're trying to pick together what's happened. Perhaps he's made a mistake. Maybe he's stolen something. We can kind of maybe make that assumption because Paul later on says, if he's taken anything, I'll repay it. So we maybe are picking together that Onesimus has made a mistake. He's stolen something. And it's forced him to leave that household and go on the run. And that's the first part of my message, part one, if you want to call it this. Part one is called On the Run. This is Onesimus. He's on the run. He's running from his master's household. You could even say maybe he was on the run from these mistakes. Like I said, you can kind of piece this together, but hopefully you're coming with me trying to get this story about this guy, Onesimus, who has done something that makes him run from his trouble. Made a mistake and he's trying to get out getting out of dodge. He's trying to make distance between what's happened and where he's headed. Actually, sort of reminds us, a long time ago, when the boys, my, my children are three boys, they were sort of three and four and one-ish at the time. We were fast asleep. It was 4 a.m. in the morning, all fast asleep. It was wonderful. They'd finally gone to sleep. They were asleep. And then all of a sudden, we hear an mighty crash like a huge explosion kind of crash, we all kind of wake up and then we hear a huge amount of revving, like a car engine, like, and like, we're like, what is happening? It feels like the whole world has collapsed. My boy's room at that time was at the front of the house, like facing the yard, and we were like, maybe there's having a crash, something, what's happened? There's a car, what, what's going on? We make our way out, like bleary-eyed, of pulling on some pants, you're walking out to the yard, and you're looking out, and what had happened was a car had crashed through our front yard, straight through the fence, straight over the garden that was kind of facing down, the lawn that was facing down towards the front of our house. And this car had made it almost to the front wall of the house. We're talking like a couple of meters away. And then he had tried to reverse away from the problem. Like literally slammed it in reverse and tried to get back up the yard, probably so that he didn't have to stick around. But there was a whole lot of fence under his car. He had gone through the fence, it stuck to the wheels, there was a huge skid mark and he was beached, like tottering on a piece of fence under his car and the car was like revving, he couldn't get traction, he couldn't get out, he was stuck, stuck in my front yard. And I wonder, like, what's happening? What, what the heck's going on out here? And the guy had, by that point, gotten out of his car. And he was like, oh, mate, I'm so sorry. He had no shoes on. He was like as bleary-eyed as I was. We soon realized that this guy had fallen asleep at the wheel, right? Because where our house was, there was an intersection right opposite our front yard. And he'd fallen asleep at the wheel. Obviously, he had quite a big night. Might have drunk too much as well. We don't know. We didn't get into that. But he fell asleep at the wheel and went straight over the intersection and just went straight into our front yard. But the most amazing part was he was trying to not be in our front yard as long as possible. He was trying to reverse his way out of this huge mistake that he'd made. We ended up having him in for a cup of tea, didn't we? Uh, we had him in for a cup of tea, gave him some toast and breakfast and had a chat to the guy. He's like, oh, I don't even have my license on me. I'm going to be in so much. Not even my car, we realized. Like he was, he was in trouble. This poor guy, he was young. He was like a teenager. He was like probably 19 or something. This poor guy, he just felt fallen asleep, gone straight in. He was trying to get away from this mistake, right? Are you with me? Ever been in that kind of context? They're like, got to get out. This poor guy was revving and revving and revving, trying to leave our, front, our front, uh, front yard, trying to get away on the run from his mistake. I wonder if that 
But if that resounds with you this morning, maybe you're not on the run from the law, hopefully not. Hopefully none of you are a fugitive from the law. We don't need to ask Tommy Lee Jones to come and find you. But hopefully, if you're maybe sat here, maybe you're thinking, yeah, maybe I'm on the run from something. And maybe it's not a crime that you've committed, but maybe you're on the run from, 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 from a relationship. Maybe you're on the run from past hurt. Maybe you're on the run from your past. Maybe you're on the run from hurt or pain. Maybe you're on the run like Onesimus in a way. Maybe you're on the run from yourself. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe you're on the run from something that is, is big in your eyes and you don't know where to go and you're on the run. But maybe even, maybe we're running from God. Maybe we're running from, from God. Maybe we're running from him and not to him. Maybe the mistakes that we've made have put distance between us and God and we think there's no chance for this reconciliation. I'm too far gone. I'm on the run from him, not to him. Maybe we're also on the run from these assumptions that we make about God. Maybe, maybe we've made assumptions about who God is, and that's why we're on the run. That maybe we're thinking that God isn't, isn't kind, that God isn't gracious, that he's not forgiving. Kind of like the prodigal son, famous story in, in Luke chapter 15. We, we won't go there. It's a famous story. The prodigal son, he's made a whole life for himself uh, away from his family. He's messed up. He's spent all of his money. He's left alone and he's in the pig pen. He's made these big mistakes and he's rehearsing in his mind, this is how I'm going to get back to my father. This is what I'll do. I'll, I'll first, I'll admit this and then I'll go here. And he's rehearsing the script in his head on the way home, as it were. He's like, he'll have me back. I don't even have to be a son. I'll just be a slave. They, the servants, they get fed at least. Like, I'll rehearse this because I know my God's, you know, the, my, my father's a, he's a harsh man. But then, obviously, this, the script is kind of flipped, isn't it? And as he's on his way home, the father sees him and runs out to meet him. The father becomes something the son never realized he was. Even the oldest son had made assumptions about his father, hadn't he? I've been here the whole time, says the older brother. I was here and, and you've never given me anything. And the father says, everything I've had is yours. There's these assumptions that maybe we make about God. Better we let God tell us who he is. Better we let his word describe him than we tell him who he is. Because we've all got these mistakes, the stuff that we've done, these, these assumptions, these past hurts, these experiences. Maybe there's something in the way and you're like, that's definitely who God is. Best we let God describe who he is. Can we do that? Maybe there's, maybe there's a way. I don't know. You can get your phone out. But I've made a big list. I've made a big list of the basics of who God is. Can I read just some of them to you? you, you we're not going to go through. Don't worry. We're not going to sit and go to every reference. I'm not going to make you go through every one. Maybe this is something you can do another time. We can make this available to people. But here's the truth. I know it's the truth because his word says it's the truth. I didn't make this up. This isn't me going, I wish God was more loving. It actually says it in John 3.16 and Isaiah 54.10. What about God being holy? What about God describing himself as kind? What about God describing himself as eternal or good? He's a generous God. He's not stingy. He's righteous. He's unchanging. He's faithful. He's true. He's compassionate. He's patient. He's perfect. He's all-knowing. He's graceful. He's merciful. Best we let God describe himself. I know I'm kind of in the way of those ones right at the very bottom. Best we let God do it. 
Best we let his word tell us who he is and not us tell him who he is. Best we let God do it. Part two, I'm racing through. Part two, lost and found. Onesimus is lost in the city. We can kind of piece this together because he's made his way all the way to Rome. So where he was over in Asia Minor, he's made his way Scholars can tell us where Philemon was, so we know where Anisimus started, but he's made his way 2,000 kilometers all the way to Rome, the capital of the then known world. Are you kind of with me? This metropolis, this place that rules the entire known world, somehow Anisimus has either on purpose or by accident or just by happenstance has fled all the way to Rome. Are you with me so far? He didn't just go down the road to the pub and have a chat and have a think and then go home. This is Onesimus. This is why I wonder if this mistake that he made, this thing that he did was so big that he had to flee internationally to get away from it. Are you with me so far? He's made it all the way to Rome. We're not told about his circumstances though. We don't know what things are doing in Rome with him. The letter doesn't give us enough details. Maybe he's having a good time. Maybe he's on a bad time. I'm not here to fill in all the blanks. I don't know all the details. You can use your imagination and maybe picture if he's on the run, maybe he doesn't have a lot of money or maybe he has got friends in Rome and that's why he went there. We don't know. But somehow he encounters Paul. And Paul is in prison or other commentators maybe say he's on house arrest. But somehow Onesimus on the run finds Paul. He encounters this, this incredible giant in the Christian faith. We don't know how he finds him, but Paul introduces him to Jesus. Of all the places in all of the world, Onesimus finds Paul. And of all the things for Paul to do, Paul introduces him to Jesus. You see what God's trying to do? See how God works? Paul is the one man, the one man who could send Onesimus home to be healed. Paul was the one man who knew Philemon. Maybe, maybe Onesimus fled to Rome because he knew Paul was there. Maybe it was a complete fluke of a thing that he bumps into Paul. And Paul's like, God had sent me to you to send you home. You see what's happening in Scripture? It's not just nice words to live by and, oh, that's a great story, Graham. You can see how intricate God works, intricately and caring God is. In the middle of this man's mistake and in the middle of his running, in the middle of him fleeing his problems, God finds him Paul. And Paul points him to Jesus. An incredible testimony of God's grace, his kindness, this divine appointment that even at his most distant, God is still orchestrating his plan for Onesimus. As distant as we might have ever felt from him, God is still working these things out. Incredible story from Tina. Incredible story. God working things out. Maybe that's where you're at. I don't know this morning. That you're sat here in this room listening to me, this this guy. Who's, who's stood on platform with a new preaching table, giving it a crack. It's working so far. Everyone okay with my preaching? Maybe, maybe God has just set you up. Just like how confident Shelley was when she said, for such a time as this. Just because she's being commissioned into a role in church doesn't make that any less true for you. That you're here for such a time as this. Whether you're distant or whether you've been here for years. The same confidence can be said for you being here. For such a time as this. Paul then goes on and describes Onesimus as useful in the ministry. 
useful in what he's doing, useful in what he's got to do in, in, in Rome. He's got lots of ministry, lots of things to get done, lots of stuff to get sorted. Onesimus jumps straight in and gets involved and gets, gets part of the ministry. But Paul clearly says to Onesimus, as we can tell from the letter, Onesimus, it's time for you to go home. Time for reconciliation. Time for restoration. Time, it's time to come home. Time to, time to go home. I don't actually have it here. I wish I did because it would be a relic from my ancient past. But I was one of those kids that would play out in the roads after school. Has anyone been there before? We don't, do we still do it? I'm not sure. It was like a cul-de-sac kind of vibe. Do we even have cul-de-sacs in Australia? I feel like that's a very English term for some reason. A cul-de-sac. It's very French, actually, isn't it? Um, but we'd play in the cul-de-sac, go, go bike riding, set up the ramps and, and terrorize the neighbors. You know, like do all the stuff little boys would do. And after primary school, even after secondary school, you try and find there was Lee Breakwell. He lived down the hill. And Oliver Quinn, he lived at the top of the hill. Oliver Quinn had all the newest technology, like going to his house. Lee Breakwell had dinner at 4.30. 4.30, his mum would make him baked beans and nuggets and chips. And I might get one or two of them if I was there at 4.30. I'd always be there at 4.30. He had dinner early. Oliver Quinn had dinner late. He had it like 7 o'clock, 7.30 at night. Too late for dinner, right? I'm not going to wait till then. But because of that, I'd never quite remember what the time was. Dinner, is it this time? Like, am I, when's our dinner? Our dinner was always at 6 p.m. on the dot. On the dot, it was 6 p.m., but for some reason, I'd always forget. You'd be out riding your bike. You'd be out doing something. So I'd be home late. Mum would be like, where are you? It's dinner time. This was long before, like, mobile phones. I was doing this like a pager. <laughs> That's ancient history, like a pager. Why would you give your child a pager? Anyway, no mobile phones. There's no way to contact. Graham, it's dinner time. Come home. So my mum figured it out, and this is what I mean by I wish I had it here, because she had what was, like, an actual horn, like a horn. It was about this big, and it would hang on the notice board at home. I say it was a horn. You're thinking like shofar right now, like, but it was basically like a gazoo that was like stuffed inside an animal horn. I don't know where it came from, probably like a, some sort of trinket from my grandpa's holidays to Mallorca, and you would blow this stupid little gazoo, and she would walk to the top of the driveway uh, every, every night, and she would blow this horn. The whole neighborhood knew what it was. Everyone's, everyone would listen. And they were, oh, Graham, you got to go home. It's dinner time. You better get home. Um, you know, like, and if I didn't come home, it would get louder and harder, more frequent. My mum was blowing this horn for me to come home. Graham, it's dinner time. Instead of shouting it. Time to come home. Such a dumb story. It's time to come home. You don't need to clap that. I wasn't waiting for one. I wasn't waiting for one. Time to come home. Time to take your place at the table. Yeah. Are you listening? Time to come home. Anesimus is to return home to face his penalty. In his, 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 in his mind, home represents payment. I've done something wrong, I've got to pay them back. But he does what's right. Paul sends him home, but here's the twist. You can see Paul sends him home not as a slave, but as a son. Not as a slave begging for forgiveness, but instead he comes home a son. He comes home a son. It says this in verse 16. I'll read it to you. It's up there too. It says this in verse 16. We read it right at the start. It seems Onesimus ran away, and then verse 16 he says, He is no longer a slave to you. He's more than a slave. 
It says this in the NIV. I'll read it in the NIV. It says, perhaps this was the reason he was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back forever. Are you reading? No longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. He, re- he returns a member of the family from slave to dear brother, from separated to now close. And here's the, here's the kicker. Pay, Paul pays for his debt. Verse 17 says this in the New Living. So if you consider me your partner, says Paul, writing to Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Are you listening? Paul says, charge it to me. Paul gives Onesimus a second chance to be made clean, to be made whole. This chance to have the slate wiped clean. If you're listening, you can hear the gospel in that. Can't you? If you're listening, you can hear what what actually the gospel is about is the far off and distant and separated humanity finds someone in Jesus who says, if they owe anything, charge it to me. I will pay the debt. You hear what the gospel is? Even in this letter, this this personal letter about Paul writing to Philemon, here's the gospel at play. Jesus is paying the price for our sin and taking our place. says this in Colossians. I want to read it to you. It says this in Colossians 1 and verse 21. It says, This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Paul has written this to the church in Colossians, in Colossae. He knows this is the same story he's playing out with Onesimus and Philemon. Jesus has paid the price. It says this in Romans 2. It says this in Romans chapter 8. says this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that what? That we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. See what this, this pattern that Paul's trying to produce in his writing, in the, in the words that he's speaking to the church, into Philemon, into the life of Onesimus. Once you were far off, but now you're close. But it's not because of you. It's not because you came up with the, pay, the payment. In fact, you would come short. It says all have sinned and fallen short. We can't pay for that debt. But that's the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus came, paid the price, and now what? You are adopted. That now you are included. That once you were there, once you were enemies, but now you're a family member. You're a dear brother. You're a son. You're a daughter. Now we have a seed at the family table. Part three, I'm coming to a close. Family dinner is part three. The former slave welcomed home. The runner returned. The fugitive is back. The fugitive is made home. Can we get that table? Can we do that now? Is that okay? We've got a table coming up. This seed at the family table has been... Been, been bought. 
Let's call it that. This, this seat at the family table has been bought by someone who, didn't pay, who wasn't owing that debt. Onesimus should have paid to get back there. He should have said, oh, I've got to clear this debt. I've got to be back. But Jesus, in his, in his glory and in his wonder, the plan of the ages is for this debt to be cancelled. And Onesimus receives this incredible payment, as it were. So he's now home. He's got a seat at the family table. Thank you, Leah, Jess, you're amazing. Can I sit here? Is that okay? I don't know about you, but when you think of a family gathering, I think of, I think of a table. I think about like a family dinner, right? If you have people over for Christmas, the chances are you're going to be sat around a table. Come for Christmas dinner. Maybe it's a birthday. Maybe it's, I don't know, Thanksgiving, if you're into Thanksgiving. You sit down at a table, don't you? Uh, I think this is a brilliant picture of what's really going on here, eating together, to have a place at the table. I don't know whether you go all out. Do you go all out at Christmas and put little name tags where people need to sit? Maybe you're at a wedding, right? Big events, there's always a place for someone. There's been, it's been organized, hasn't it? Like, oh, this is where that person sits. There's usually an argument about which, who gets on what table, who gets on with that uncle, who doesn't like that person. Well, we better put them on the back table. We don't really like them, but they're here anyway. Just, just me. I'm so unrighteous compared to all of you people. You're just looking at me like, we would never do that. But there's room, isn't there? Room for fellowship, room for communion. You can picture Onesimus with me. I, I kind of see these things in pictures, but it's kind of like the epilogue in a movie or the f- closing scenes of like that Hallmark movie where, the, where he has once been the slave. Now that there's a place for him. Now someone says, come and sit down, come and sit down. Yes, come, sit, 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 eat, eat. Here's a drink, here's some food. Whether once the slave was off to the side or was busy in the kitchen, he's now got a place. He's now got a place at the table. He's welcomed, he's connected, he's eating, he's sharing. I can use my imagination like this, it's, it's okay. But there's more to it than just like a nice ending because that's where I could finish and be like, yes, it was great for Onesimus. But how maybe we could talk a little bit more about meals in, in Scripture, about how important they are, and about how I- impressive dinners are, how, how, how big a deal feasts and banquets are, right? All through history, we were in London on holiday a couple of years ago, a big family holiday, once-in-a-lifetime sort of trip, and we were, we were there in, in the Tower of London, and we were talking about royals, and they spent years' worth of treasury uh, money on, on, on a coronation, and there's meals that last for months, banquets and feasts that last for, for ages because that's what signifies a big deal when you can have a, a, me, uh, have a meal. Even in the Bible, you talk about kings and feasts and place settings and kill the fatted calf, says the father when the son comes home. Let's eat, let's do something amazing. But how these kings would never have handed out the food themselves. There would always have been somebody else who gave the food to somebody else. But then probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous meal of all, where Jesus, the King of Kings, he he hands out the food himself. And he he takes the bread and he has communion with his friends. This is going to be awkward, but I'll do it. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he doesn't make a servant, he doesn't make a slave do it, but he passes it to his, his disciples in person and says, take, eat, this is my body. It's the difference between the, the royalty that 
We've seen throughout history all these kings of old, but where Jesus, sitting at a table with his closest and dearest friends, says, take, eat, this is my body. That's the table we all sit at. That's the table we all are a part of, where Jesus hands himself personally to us. The event of a banquet will always be trumped by the intimacy of family sharing food. That's why we celebrate communion. We remind ourselves when we come to this communion table in our hearts and even on a Sunday or when you're at home or when you're in the car or however you manage to do communion, you remind yourself that once I was a slave, bound to my sin, running from him, but now, what am I? I'm free. I'm accepted. I've got a place at the table. There's a seat for me where once I was far, where once I was separated, where once I was an enemy. Now, Jesus, because of his sacrifice, as he passes me his own body and says, take, eat. Now I've got a seat at the table. Now I've got a place. Now I've got somewhere to come home. This is why we refer to church as a family. It's why we refer to this place as a home. It's not just a meeting place. It's not just a convention or a a community center. It's not just a place where you can head. It's not just a building, but it's a home. Are you with me? A home with a table set. A home with a table set for the lost and the broken to come home. For the people who don't yet know him to find a place. For people who are far from him to come home. That's why we set the table. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we set a table for people who've yet to come home. It's the same heavenly table reflected every day in what we do here as a church. And for those of us who are already a part of the family, that's why we care about what this table means. That's why we do what we do. It's where we find a place to serve at this table. It sounded and looked a bit awkward, didn't it? Let me do that. I would rather put that out. Can I put that there? Can I be a part of that? I wasn't doing that because I wanted them to hurry, but I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of this. I didn't want someone else to set it and me enjoy the feast. I wanted to get my hands dirty because I know, look at me, I'm getting up. I'm halfway there because I'm so excited. I'll stand up. No, I'm going to sit down. I know that I was once a slave. This table didn't exist for me until somebody set the table. That was Jesus. Yes, he invited me into his family, but then I found home, I found life and community at a table set by others who said, come home. I've got a table. I've got a table. I've got a chair set for you. I've got a place. I've got a nice drink. I've got a plate. I've got a fork. I want to make sure that this is a good chair. It's not the it's not the dodgy chair. It's the right chair for you. It's not like I'm worried about this. I want to make sure the music works because I want this atmosphere. I want you to feel welcome. I don't want you to feel like you're stuck at the back. I want you to know that he cares, that the details matter because he made it matter to me. Maybe that's you and you're wondering how to be a part of this, to pass the food, to set the chairs, to own the atmosphere, to make people feel welcome. It's not just an event on a Sunday but it's part of a family that you care for, that you invest in. Please don't hear me wrong. This isn't about getting you to do more. 
This is about you finding your place in this big, broad family so that you get this amazing reward about putting a chair out for somebody. I don't mean these chairs. I mean metaphorically finding a place for someone, setting the table, and it's in conversation, isn't it? It's in that word that you have with someone in the car park as they're going home, that, that extra question that you ask, the, the moment that you take someone to their job because their car's broken down, or, or the, the way that we build friendship and family and community beyond just the act of service here on a Sunday. That's why we call it a home. Because he did the same for us. He made a way where there wasn't a way. So why don't we pave the way? Why don't we make this table as big as it can be? Why don't we set this table as brilliantly as we can make it to add value to people? That's the home that we're building. Because he made a way for you to come. That's why we serve. That's why we build. Can I, can I pray for you as a church? Can I pray for us, this family? that we would have a fresh revelation of what it means to be a family. That we would step into this season now, into the next few weeks into Christmas and on into 2024, where we set a table. Can I pray for that? And then I'll hand back to Dan. Father, I pray for every person gathered here. Lord, I pray you'd seal that word in our hearts, that we would set a table. Lord, for the people who have yet to come home to this house, to this church, to this family of believers. I pray that we'd see it all the more over these next few weeks as we talk and as we lean into and we pray into all these things that it means to be a home. What does that mean for us? I pray we'd have ears to hear that from you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for all these wonderful things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Why don't you give him a clap offering this morning? Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.